0: Let's pray together, please. Amidst the beauty of music and space, this sacred moment, may the sacred break in and infuse this service of worship and this table of mercy and draw us, Lord, toward your heart of love through the one you sent. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We come to this text every year at this time, the first Sunday of the new year, and so we've all heard this text many times before, but as someone who's just turned 58 years old and is increasingly sedentary, having almost completed my Ph.D. in couch potatoing, my question is this. What drew these wise men to leave the f- safety and the familiarity, the warmth and the comfort of home, to enter into these uncharted territories, to cross boundaries of race and religion and geography and nationality in order to follow a star? What, what drew them? Were they just adventurous? Maybe they were young wise men and they were just adventuresome. Maybe it was intellectual curiosity. Perhaps they were astronomers or astrologers and they just wanted to see where this new star would take them. Or perhaps they were seekers after new spiritual experiences. You know, of course, that there are people who collect spiritual experiences much like other people collect stamps or those little demitasse spoons or whatever they collect them or did something draw them something like a almost like a magnet that would draw them and intrigue them and speak to the deepest longings of their hearts something that said there's more to life than what you have. Come and let's see what it is. Matthew tells us that the wise men were seeking this child born, the king of the Jews, which is very interesting because these, of course, were not Jewish people. They were from Iraq or Persia or somewhere like that. They had really no interest in a king of the Jews. And I doubt they were concerned Uh, They must not have been concerned that there already was someone with the title king of the Jews. His name was Herod. Apparently it didn't occur to them that he would be uh, threatened by this news of a new king of the Jews. And that's probably because their mission was not political. Their mission was not political in the traditional sense. As Jesus would tell another religious leader in that same Jerusalem many years later, my kingdom is not of this world. I think this is a story of people who are drawn to that which is sacred. Wherever it's found, and whoever gets the credit, that which is sacred At the core of our humanity, no matter how we've tried to cover it, at the core of our humanity is a love of the lovely, of beauty, of truth, and of what is just and right. We all have it deep within us. For some, it's really hard to see. But I think if you talk to any person and drill down deep enough at the core of who we are is this love of the lovely. Even if we don't consider ourselves religious in the traditional sense, we're all drawn, compelled to seek this thing which is lovely and we might even call it sacred. It's just so beautiful. Maybe you find it in nature. Maybe you find it in relationships. Maybe you find it in some of the great teachings and insights of the world, of people who have gone before. Perhaps you find it in music or in art or in story. Or maybe you even find it, even find it in the pain of the world. Something calls to you and draws you. And it's sacred. Later on, we may prefer to be rather elitist and exclusive about it, to try to categorize it and control it as a way to contain it and keep it for our own egocentric purposes. But at our core, at our core, we have these occasions. You've had them. When you glimpse that mystery and love, and beauty and truth. And like the wise men, you jump on your metaphorical camel and you set out, you're drawn outside of yourself to that which transcends boundaries and categories, maybe even religion. You felt it. Maybe you can barely remember feeling it. Maybe for you, you've tended to Minimize that moment when you've felt drawn because you've really not acted on it in a way that validates it. I have to admit that rarely does any of us, do any of us uh, follow a straight line in that drawing. I take some consolation that even the wise men, even the wise men, Seem to have lost their bearing. You notice, of course, they don't go directly to Bethlehem. They go first to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a place that has its draw, it has its own magnetism, it's the place of the bright lights of money and prestige and sophistication. It's the place where the deciders gather together. It's where you get your bona fides. It's where you feel validated. But Jerusalem also has its double-crossers. It has Herod. It has the deceivers. It has the power plays. And the wise men are almost sucked into that vortex of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Almost. And it makes me wonder. What if there were other wise men who also saw the star? Who also made their way across the geography and national boundaries, but got as far as Jerusalem and got stuck there? Because you know, a lot of people get stuck just a few miles north of where they're supposed to be. And they never quite make that final step. The wise men, thank God, consulted, uh, really because of Herod, consulted the ancients, the prophets. And they were told that the sacred would not be found in the seat of power, but rather in the off-center place, in the place not in the bright lights, in Bethlehem of Judah. And they go to that place they find the Christ child and Mary as mother, and they have this experience that Matthew describes as overwhelming joy, overwhelming joy. They see this baby as the bearer and the embodiment of, of love, and it brings this overwhelming joy, so much so that they, they leave their gifts there, their most Precious commodities, gold and frankincense and myrrh, the tools of their trade, they leave at his feet. And it reminds me of the words of Jesus later on. When he talks about the gospel, the call of God is this pearl of great price. The pearl that you would sell everything for because it's why we were created. To find this overwhelming joy that draws all people, even now. And so on this first Sunday of the year 2013, I want us to sit for a moment with this possibility. Is there something lovely and true and beautiful, something sacred, drawing us, Drawing you as an individual, drawing Highland as a community. We tend to play it safe with our lives. We tend to live with business as usual. We try to do kind of a control and contain religion, and what we get is trapped When the invitation is always to be drawn out of our comfort and into that which is new. There's an adventure out there. There's, there's a kind of road trip, if you will. Not the kind of sophomoric, funny, silly road trip. But a road trip that has peace and purpose and plenty as its goals. It's a sacred journey. But it's also scary. I know a family from our church who is feeling drawn to move, to move their home into Shelby Park. And on the one hand, they're very excited about it, the possibility of being there and connected, and and they would feel so exhilarated by it, but they're also a little bit scared for Shelby Park It's a great community, but there are moments when it can be a little scary and all the amenities that we are all used to in the lives that we live aren't there readily available to them. But they feel the draw. I know other people in our church who are feeling and wondering about this call to seminary, to divinity school. On the one hand, it's hugely exhilarating to go and learn and, and delve into the deeper things of the faith. But on the other hand, they've got friends who are going to business school or law school or medical school, and they wonder, what am I doing? Who will I be? Am I going to have to look and act like Joe or Nina? I mean, what, what will this be for us? I know a family in our church that is talking about downsizing their lives. And on the one hand, they feel liberated by this idea. They've got so much stuff and so many resources that to pare it down for them feels like a kind of liberation. And at the same time, it feels to them a kind of scary notion. For how are we known? How are we identified except by the stuff we have? And then there are many of the rest of us, you in this room today, who don't have some physical journey or a moving or relocating or a a retooling, but you're going to stay where you are, but live as if you're on the back of a camel crossing a spiritual desert into something that is new and life-giving. That's the way it ought to be. Listen, if the gospel seems boring to you, You're not living it right. On the one hand, the gospel is sacred, but it's also scary. Bruce pointed out to me the difference between the words sacred and scared is just the change of two letters. They're very close together. Oh, but to step across, to be like these Wise men of the old who had the confidence to to step across and to find that overwhelming joy. Well, then there's the sad part of this Christmas pageant. The part that we don't often tell during the Christmas season because it has to do with the slaughter of the children. Doesn't it always seem to be the case that when adults lose control, the children are the victims? And it all happens. It all happens. Because instead of feeling drawn like the wise men, Herod feels defensive. He feels like his power and his position are at stake. He wants to eliminate Jesus rather than embrace Jesus, which raises the question, why wasn't Herod drawn? Why didn't Herod feel what the wise men felt? Some try to mechanically answer this question by simply saying, well, obviously Herod wasn't one of the elect. He just wasn't destined to be just kind of the... Bad luck for him, he just wasn't to be part of the group. I I don't buy that. Others try to dismiss people like Herod by saying, well, he's evil, he's different than us, he's evil. I don't buy that either. What I wonder is this. If Herod isn't an example of the human tragedy that every one of us can fall into. That of becoming prisoners within our own power and pride. For you see what happened was. Herod felt defensive. And with his power and with his pride, Herod built a wall around himself. And he presumed that this wall would be for his protection and his security. He would be able to keep things in that he loved and valued while he was able to fight those things that were on the outside. But what Herod came to discover is that the wall he built had become his own prison. And because of it, he's unable to feel this draw or to step into this draw to something that would have been so much more life-giving. Have you ever known a child named Herod? We don't name our babies Herod. What if Herod would have said, yes, let's celebrate this one. I feel drawn as do the wise men to this, but instead... Herod was imprisoned by his power and pride and was no longer a candidate for the spirit of God and plays it out in the slaughter of the children. And of course, this isn't just about Herod. This isn't just a history lesson. This is about you and me and the danger of walling ourselves in by our power or our pride, or our prejudices, or our fears. Here's the good news. The great offering of God is that we are always, always invited to respond to the draw that every human heart can feel, to break out of the walls and prison of our power. Later on, the Apostle Paul would write of Christ, He is our peace, for he has broken down the dividing wall. To break out of that power and to see this Christ child, not just as our commodity, but as the Holy One embodied in humanity. For the salvation and the liberation and the redemption and the reconciliation of all, all of God's children. Do you feel that draw? Is there anything in this hour? The song or the space or the taste of bread and cup that might rekindle that sense of being drawn once again in your heart? Andrew Young was the ambassador to the United States ambassador to the United Nations, later was the mayor of the city of Atlanta, he tells the story about when his daughter graduated from college, a brilliant, beautiful young woman. She had every opportunity in the world. He said, honey, I can set you up with a top job in Washington. You just name what agency or what nonprofit you'd like to go to work for, or if you'd like to go to graduate school, we can get you into the best graduate schools in the land. Or perhaps you want to go, to, go into business. And I, I know lots of people in business. She said to him, Dad, I want to go to Uganda and help the people who have been ravaged by the civil wars that have gone on there. Young said, Uganda? Are you kidding me? Do you not know about Idi Amin and his death squads? Do you not know what would happen to you in Uganda? You're not going to Uganda. She said to him, I'm going to Uganda. And a few months later, as he watched her plane take her to the nation of Uganda, he turned to his friend and said, you know, I always wanted her to be a respectable Christian. I didn't want her to be a real Christian. To feel the draw. To let it have its way in your life. To follow this Jesus and break out of our prisons and to then be overwhelmed with joy. This morning we're invited to this table. It is the Lord's table. It is not Highland's table or a Baptist table. It is for all who follow Jesus Christ. All who are hungry for God this day, you are invited to this table. As we prepare ourselves to come, will you stand with me and let's turn to friend or stranger nearby and say these words. May the peace of Christ be with you.